0: by the past no more.
1: By flaming tongues of love, raise the mountain, fix upon it, Mount of God's redeemer.
0: Good morning, church. How are we doing this morning? Are we doing good? Yeah? Let's try that again. Are we doing good? Yes. There we go. Thank you, Harry. Let's have you guys stand if you would. I wanted to read to you guys before we started this morning. This is, uh, this is out of Psalm 99. I'm going to grab your attention for this. This is a profound passage right here. So hear the word of the Lord. Psalm 99 says, The Lord reigns. So let the nations tremble, for he sits enthroned between the cherubim, so let the earth shake. For great is the Lord in Zion, and he is exalted over all the nations, so let them praise your great and awesome name, for he is holy. Amen. Let's put our hands together for the word of the Lord today. He is worthy of it. Here we go. I can this together right here I believe in
2: I got it.
0: You would like to you may take your seats. I need no other argument. And I need no other argument.
2: I need no other plea. It is enough that my Jesus died, and that He died for.
0: Father, we are thankful for the gift of your son today. We come to honor him. We come to honor you. But we know that Jesus paid with his blood for the church, for us. The one, the all-powerful, came down and paid his life ransom for us, and we are thankful for that. I would pray that that is what permeates how how we live who we are, so that's what people see in us daily. We pray that it's not something we come and proclaim just on a Sunday morning, but we pray that that is something that we live out. God, I pray that you'd help each one of us, whatever you're calling us to, to be willing and brave enough to do it. God, I am so thankful right now that we have this time where we can build one another up, remind one another that you are all-powerful and worth living for so that we would go out this week and live for you and the things that you ask us to do. We pray now that as we hear from Pastor Pete, as we hear from your word, it would speak to us and change us and move us into action. In Christ's
3: precious name we pray all these things. Amen. Well, good morning, church. Man, it is good to be with you this morning, and if you are a guest with us this morning or joining us online for the very first time, I just want to say thank you so much for being with us and uh, worshiping with us this morning, and we're going to turn our attention now to God's Word, and so if you have a copy of the Bible, I'd encourage you to open it or turn it on. Find the book of Acts. Chapter 19 is where we're going to be, and if you don't have a Bible, as you made your way in, you walked past some welcome tables, we have Bibles on there, those are free for you, so if you don't have a Bible and want to grab one on your way out, you are welcome to do that, or even if you want to sneak out right now and grab a Bible, you can totally do that, no judgment whatsoever. Man, we, uh, we're heading into an important season, and I'm so thankful to be gathering back uh, with you as we head close to Easter, and just wanted to just make a real quick uh, announcement that we will be having four Easter services: uh, sat, two on Saturday, two on Sunday. More information is going to come, but we hope that you would invite uh, your family, your neighbors, someone who maybe doesn't know the Lord, and invite them to come and hear about uh, the resurrection. There's going to be a lot of worship, corporate worship, and uh, Pastor Justin's going to be bringing the message. So, hope that you can be there. And I also wanted to just let you know that we are uh, planning an event for kids and families on Saturday morning. It's going to be a little different this year due to kind of what we're walking through, but we've called it the Easter Hop. And what it's going to be is a journey through the Easter story throughout our campus so that we can take kids and allow them to get a little bit of uh, fun and be able to hear the story of Easter. And so uh, it's going to be kind of spread out over the morning from 930 till noon. And we're asking our Salem Heights Church family to uh, register for a time when they're going to come so that we don't all come at the beginning. Uh, but for, our, for the general public or any of your friends, there's no other uh, registration required. Anybody can come and attend. We will make room for you, but there's going to be more information about that on our church website, and if uh, you are on the D6 uh, email chain, be sure to read those emails. we we'll have more information for our families, but we're excited to do something for our kids as well as we try to move back to some of the things we used to just enjoy so much as a church family. We've been working our way through the book of Acts, and uh, we find ourselves in chapter 19, and we're going to be covering a large portion of Scripture this morning, and we're not going to look at every verse, but I want to encourage you this week in your own time to go back and read through the entire chapter. Just to kind of, kind of set the scene for us this morning, Acts chapter 19 is the story of the birth of the church, and how God began to grow the church, not just in Jerusalem, but then in the surrounding areas of Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. At the beginning of the book, we see that it kind of focuses on the Apostle Paul and him taking that good news message of Jesus Christ to the Jewish people. And in the latter half of the book of Acts, we see him, uh, We see a transition to focus on the conversion and then evangelistic ministry of a man named Paul. And Paul, in the book of Acts, we see records three of his missionary journeys, three different times that he was sent out from a church to go to different places Uh, that had never heard the gospel, places that perhaps had really no idea of the God of the Bible. And so we pick up the story this morning in in Acts chapter 19, and Paul is making his way uh, on his third missionary journey from Antioch to Ephesus. We have this map, you can kind of see uh, a location here. Ephesus is in that red part there, close to the Aegean Sea, in what was called Asia Minor at the time. That's modern-day Turkey. And so Paul traveled from Antioch and he made his way to Ephesus, and that's the location that we find ourselves uh, in this passage in Acts chapter 19. The first part of this chapter, Paul arrives in Ephesus and Paul does what he always does when he gets to a new location he always goes to the local synagogue. He goes there, and it says for many weeks he debated and tried to teach them the good news of Jesus Christ. But one of the things that happened is what he found oftentimes when he would go to these places and he would begin to talk about Christ being the Messiah, he wasn't met with a a great acceptance. He he found a lot of opposition. And so it tells us here in this chapter that Paul took himself out of kind of going to the synagogue and he moved to a a local kind of town hall, a, a lecture hall. And it says that every day for the next several years, Paul continue to talk about the word of the Lord. It's a pretty incredible thing. Every day, showing up, telling people about Jesus. And it says that the entire area of Asia Minor, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. In verse 20 of this chapter in 19, it tells us that the word of the Lord flourished and prevailed. So this whole area of Asia Minor began to hear the message of Jesus Christ. As Paul continued to teach it, people were going out, people were getting saved, and then as they were going back to their hometowns, or as commerce uh, kind of moved through, Ephesus was a a place of, of great renown. As that message began to leave Ephesus and go to other parts of that modern world at that time, people began to hear the message of the gospel and respond in faith. Now, we might read this and kind of get used to it going through the book of Acts, thinking, man, this just makes sense. The word prevailed, God grew his church. But this is a very significant detail that I don't want us to overlook. See, Ephesus at this time was probably the fourth largest city in in the world. It was very, it had a a, a great influence when it came to political matters, religious matters, it was a center of commerce. It was affluent, it was diverse, it was influential, and it was full of idol worship. The native religion of Ephesus was the worship of a Greek goddess, uh, Artemis. And when the original temple to Artemis was destroyed, Alexander the Great rebuilt it, and the temple that he built was known as one of the seven wonders of the world. You can see an artist's rendering of this temple. What is interesting about this picture is you can kind of see between those two pillars, there's two people. This is the actual remains of this temple. If you were to go there today in Turkey, this was a massive temple, uh, much larger than a normal uh, American football field. It was the center of worship, and Ephesus being a hub of commerce. Ephesus was located between two rivers right on the sea. So all the commerce, all the people, I mean, were traveling through Ephesus. It was full Of idol worship and idolatry was big business you would go there and you would be able to buy shrines and idols to worship this god of artemis and be able to uh, make sacrifices and do these things Uh, this is an example of a little artifact they found in this area so the fact that the gospel started with paul in a little lecture hall just teaching faithfully every day the Word of God, and then it begins to influence all of Asia Minor, begins to influence people, and it says it's flourishing and growing is no small thing. It's just another example of the supernatural power that comes when the gospel is shared in the midst of an idolatrous culture. Man, that sounds awfully familiar. (laughs) Do you know that that same gospel has the power to influence an idolatrous culture today? It's the same thing. It's the same message. It's the same truth. It's the same key to setting people free. It hasn't changed. But this movement in Paul's time wasn't welcomed by everybody in Ephesus. The message of the gospel had become a movement, but to the people of Ephesus, it had become a menace to their way of life. And that's where we're going to pick up the story this morning. So we're going to read our text this morning, Acts chapter 19, verses 23 through 41. If you're able, would you please stand with me in honor of God's word, and we're going to read our text for this morning. If you're ready, say ready. Ready. This is the word of the Lord. About that time, there was a major disturbance about the way. For a person named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines to Artemis, provided a great deal of business for the craftsmen. And when he had assembled them, as well as the workers engaged in this type of business, he said, Men, you know that our prosperity is derived from this business. You see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but almost all of Asia, this man Paul has persuaded and misled a considerable number of people by saying that gods made by hand are not God's. Not only do we run the risk of our business may be discredited, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be despised and her magnificent come to the verge of ruin, the very one all of Asia and the world worship. When they had heard this, they were filled with rage and began to cry out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed all together into the amphitheater, dragging along Gaius and Articus, Macedonians who were Paul's traveling companions. Although Paul wanted to go in before the people, the disciples did not let him. Even some of the providential uh, provincial officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent word to him, pleading with him not to venture into the amphitheater. Some were shouting one thing and some another because the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some Jews in the crowd gave instructions to Alexander after they pushed him to the front. Motioning with his hand, Alexander wanted to make his defense to the people, but when they recognized that he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. When the city clerk had calmed the crowd down, he said, people of Ephesus, what person is there who doesn't know that the city of the Ephesians is the temple guardian of the great Artemis and of the image that fell from heaven? Therefore, since these things are undeniable, you must keep calm and not do anything rash for you have brought these men here who are not temple robbers or blasphemer, blasphemers of our goddess. So if Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have a case against anyone, the courts are in session and there are pro Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it must be decided in a legal assembly. In fact, we run a risk of being charged with rioting for what happened today since there is no justification that we can give as a reason for this disturbance. After saying this, He dismissed the assembly. Do you believe that happened? It did. You may be seated. Father God, I just ask in these next few moments, as as we focus our attention on this text, God, that you would use your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. And as we begin to unpack how the gospel confronts idols, God, you would protect us from warfare and things that would distract us, that we would really hear what you have for us this morning. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. So this is a large passage, and it's pretty unique because a lot of times when we work our way through the book of Acts, we're, we're seeing Luke's record of what happened in the early church, and we're seeing, like, Paul say something, and then we see kind of the events that took place around it, and we see Paul as the main character. But what we noticed here is Luke has recorded an event that's kind of giving social commentary to what's going on. This is about an event that was happening, kind of removed from Paul. Paul wasn't there. In fact, a lot of commentators believe that there's a good chance that Demetrius never actually went to the lecture hall, never actually heard Paul speak specifically, but he was definitely feeling it where it hurts, in his pocketbook. As this message became known, as the gospel began to spread, people like Demetrius were getting very, very frustrated because their business, their livelihood was being attacked, but also... Their culture. But as I look at this passage, I began to think about why why did Luke include this? Why did Luke leave this for us? What is it that he wants us to consider? And what does the Lord want us to consider this morning? And my attention was repeatedly drawn to verse 26. Would you look at it again with me? Demetrius says, You see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia... This man, Paul, has persuaded and misled a considerable number of people by saying that gods made by hand are not gods. This was offensive to Demetrius and to the people of Ephesus. But you know what? I believe that that statement is just as offensive to us today. You may ask, is idolatry even a thing today? I mean, think about it this way. We think of artists. I mean, we showed the big temple statues, this idol worship. We think of it as kind of this thing where shrines, and if you've ever been to a country that is big on idol worship, this is, is very common. I've had a chance to, to travel to India and, and be in people's houses, and you'll see shrines to multiple gods that they worship. But we don't live in India, we live in America, we live in the West. Is idolatry really a thing? Is it actually that prevalent? It seems like we live in a secular culture here where people don't even believe in God at all. So what does a message about idolatry really have to do with us today? Well, the simple answer to that question is, yes, idolatry does exist. And I think this passage shows us what happens when the gospel confronts idolatry. So this morning, what I hope to do for us is to highlight Four truths about idols. We are all capable of having one. We'll go to great lengths to protect one. It can be costly to break free from one. And the gospel will confront every one of them. So let's think about this first one. Paul goes into Ephesus, and he just begins teaching the gospel. And the commentary that we get in verse 26 from Demetrius is that all of Asia has heard this truth, that you can't preach the gospel and not have it impact the, things that, the other things that we're worshiping. That the gospel is going to do business with what else in our life is competing with putting God on the throne. What else is competing in my life with him being my sole authority, my sole leader, the one that I live for, not myself. But the reality is, we're just as capable of having an idol. You might think, well, Pete, I believe that for the unbeliever. Man, those unbelievers today, those people who are against God, who don't like Christianity, they absolutely are capable of having an idol. But I wanted to share a quote. I was listening to a message by Tim Keller, and he offered this diagnostic for believers. He says, you may believe in God. You may believe the Bible. You may believe in Christian teaching. You may go to church all the time. But if there is anything more than God that is functionally more important to your happiness, identity, hope, or meaning, that is functionally your God. So even though we can look around in our, in our world today, maybe not see a huge temple with large shrines that I have to go to, to to worship and bow down and offer sacrifice to, and even if I don't have that maybe in my home, uh, an idol, idol worship is not just possible, it is prevalent in our culture, and in our hearts. So what does this look like? What then is idol worship if it's not bowing down to an an, uh, an actual statue? Well, idol worship is any time you worship something God created instead of worshiping Him. And that's not just my opinion. That's what Paul identifies in Romans chapter one when he kind of identifies what idolatry looks like. Romans chapter one, verses 22, 23, and 25 say this. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Well, that sounds like statue worship, but then listen to what he says. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the Creator who is praised forever. Amen. You see, one of the biggest forms of idolatry today is the worship of self. In a series of articles for the Gospel Coalition entitled, The Four Biggest Challenges Facing the Church in the West Today, author Trevin Wax suggests that the number one challenge is that we live in a society enthralled by what's called expressive individualism. So what is that? Expressive individualism. Well, he, he had this to say. He said, when defining expressive individualism, it might be best to start with the slogans behind the movement. And I think we'll recognize these slogans. You be you. Be true to yourself. Follow your heart. Find yourself. Expressive individualism is making the number one priority in life, finding your identity and expressing or living that out to the fullest. This is one of the biggest challenges in our culture. It's not just about finding out who you are. It's then the right you have to live out who you think you are to the fullest and have everyone accept what you have defined as your identity, your purpose for living who you are. And so this is this is an idea. This is an influence in our culture that it's, it's pervasive. I think we can think of all these quotes: "You be you, be true to yourself, follow your heart, find yourself." And we go, man, that sounds like a lot of commercials, television shows, advertisements, uh, opinions. And we go, man, this this is an influence. This is idolatry exists. It's easy for a person to to be able to put these things above God. And so we're all capable of having an idol. And when that exists, that that leads us to the second truth. We'll go to great lengths to protect one. In verse 25, it says that Demetrius had assembled all the workers who were engaged in that kind of idol business the making of idols, the selling of certain things for idol worship, and he he got them all together. And it says that when he kind of pointed out the fact that, hey, have you noticed that this gospel message that Paul is delivering is starting to impact the bottom line? What did it say? That people began to be filled with rage. says that they began shouting and that the crowds eventually spilled into the amphitheater. There was this huge amphitheater in Ephesus, and it eventually was the city clerk. In some of your translations, it might call it the president of the city or the, the city leader, but basically the, the person that was in charge of this area came in and had to calm them down and said, listen, if you don't stop this, this rioting, You're going to get Rome's attention, and they're going to come in and deal with this swiftly, and you're going to bring judgment on the whole city. Knock it off. So why were they so upset? Well, it's because idols are extremely personal. J.D. Greer offers this explanation. He says, Idols engage the deepest emotions in our hearts. When idols are challenged, people get violent. That's what happens in Acts 19 when Artemis's prowess is threatened. And it's what happens in our lives when something we love is threatened because many of our deepest emotions are connected to idols. But I love what he says next. The irony here is that idolizing something ultimately keeps you from being able to enjoy it at all. You panic and fret about losing something so vital that you can never rest. Gaining more of an idol only heightens that sense of fear because nothing other than God can sustain the weight of your soul. So what had gotten Demetrius stirred up to where he had to go and do something about this and stir up other people? What made him go to these links to put him on the verge of a riot that could get them in trouble by the, the governing officials? This was extremely personal to him. This had become everything. And look what he says here. In verse 27, Not only do we run a risk of our business may be discredited, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be despised and her magnificent come to the verge of ruin for the very one all of Asia and the world worship. Recognize Demetrius's concerns. They're the same concerns that we have when our idols get touched and why we will go to great lengths to protect them. The gospel threatened his prosperity. We're at the risk of losing our business. What's the business? Money, security, ability to bring comfort to my life, to be in control. He was concerned about their cultural identity. This is who we are. Everyone in the world knows that we are the temple guardians of Artemis. That's a pretty significant place. So people look at us, and it kind of puffs us up. Our culture is known as a supreme culture. If he comes in and undermines that, who are we then? How is that true in our lives? I put all my eggs into this basket, this is my career, this is my job, this is my purpose in life, and if something starts to touch that, then who am I if that's not really what I'm supposed to be about? And that's the third thing that we see Demetrius, I think is concerned his personal identity. So the truth is that we're all capable of having an idol. And if an idol does creep up in our lives, we're going to go to great lengths to protect one because they're very personal and they're very hard to let go of. And that leads us to our next truth, is that it can be costly to break free from an idol. You might ask, well, what, what, what do you mean by cost, Pete? Well, there can be a physical cost to breaking an idol down and saying, I'm going to follow Christ with everything. Here, it would, it would require them to lose maybe their the livelihood, their business. They'd have to go find something else to do, to provide. There might be a time in your life where in order to stand with Jesus, you might have to resign for a job, or to stand for truth, or to maybe be at loss or something that was, brings earthly physical security, there can be physical loss. Earlier in chapter 19, it says that many of the people who had become saved had taken all their kind of instruments of idolatry and sorcery and they burned them in front of everybody. It says in verse 19, while many of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them in front of everyone, so they calculated their value and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. What was the impact of, of the gospel in their lives? They're saying, hey, "I i got to root out all these idols. i got to get rid of this stuff that's going to keep me from Jesus. And I'm going to just burn it here. I don't want anything to do with it. But all that stuff had value. It cost them something. But it was getting in the way of their relationship with God. So there can definitely be a physical cost to breaking free an idol, but there can also be a relational cost It says the angry mob dragged two of Paul's traveling companions into the amphitheater. (laughs) These guys weren't the ones that, you know, Paul was the one preaching every day in this lecture hall. Paul wasn't around, so who, all these guys travel with Paul, so we're going to grab you and drag you and imagine this huge, angry mob yelling and screaming, shouting these praises to Artemis for hour after hour, and you're surrounded by this angry group of people because you knew the guy. You traveled with him. I'm here to tell you this morning that if we stand in opposition to cultural identity, we too will stand to be attacked. Sometimes acceptance by the culture is an idol. But there's also an emotional cost. We can't imagine living life without these idols. They're the things that claim to be our source of joy, our source of prosperity, our source of security. This is what we need. I can't imagine not having these things in my life. And one of the, the struggles with it is, again, remember, an idol is anything that God created that we lift up and place above the Creator. And sometimes the things that we make idol are actually good gifts from the Father. And so we can take something and we can make it like, I don't understand why God wouldn't want me to make my kids my everything. They're my kids. I'm not sure why, why God would not want me to make uh, my, my job, the everything. This is the job that God gave me. I'm not sure that this, this, uh, this professional kind of pursuit isn't what God would want me to do and make my everything because these are the natural talents and abilities he's given me. God has never created those things to replace him as creator. In fact, they make really crummy saviors. They cannot bear the burden that we put on our saviors. And that's why they constantly let us down. Has a, has a, has a kid ever let you down? A, a, a family member, a spouse, a job? I remember many times thinking, oh man, if I could just buy this thing, I'm going to achieve that utopia of happiness and it didn't pan out. I remember when I was a kid, I convinced my parents to buy me this plastic bowling set, and I convinced my mom I was going to play with it for hours. (laughs) We had this long hallway in my house, and she finally broke down, and she bought me this plastic bowling set, and I set up the pins, and I walked down the hallway, and I took the little plastic bowling ball that you couldn't even get your fingers all the way in, and I practiced my best bowling form, and I rolled it down, didn't knock all the pins down, and it hit me. I mean, I had to go set those things back up. Ah, never mind. And I stopped playing with it after like one time. (laughs) I want to tell you that's in you today, adults. That doesn't change as you get older unless Christ has totally changed the way you view stuff. Man, God is good. He has given us so many gifts He's created us with the ability to have relationship, to experience love and emotion. He's given us the the blessing of of talents and skills. He's, He's created a beautiful creation that we can be in it, but he never intended for that to be replacing him as God. And when we do that, we're not satisfied. The gospel offers us what idols fail to deliver. So what does the gospel offer us? It offers us freedom from the demands of idols. In Galatians 5, it tells us for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. The gospel offers us a truly satisfied life. John 10, Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal and kill, destroy. I have come so that they may have life and to have it in abundance. And the gospel offers us something of actual eternal value. Paul had to learn this the hard way. But this is what he says in Philippians. But everything that was gained to me I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I consider everything to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him... I have suffered the loss of all things and considered them as dung so that I may gain Christ. Man, it can be really hard to break free from an idol because we just don't see how life is worth living. But what we have to understand is that created things can never replace the Creator and they can never deliver on what only God can give us. And yet we will pursue these things. We'll go, yeah, I love the Lord, but man, I'm really living for something else or I've let something else kind of creep up and try to compete with God. And he is not the only God on the throne in my life. I'm starting to put these other things up there and I'm not walking around satisfied. I'm discouraged, I'm frustrated, and I don't feel like God is listening. And that's where we get to the last point is that the gospel will confront everyone. Everyone of these idols. We need to return to the gospel time and time again. It's not just something that we believe in to get saved. It's that thing that reminds us of where we're heading. When I was growing up, my dad loved fish. He actually went to school to study fish and uh, he wanted to get into marine biology. And so we grew up, we had fish tanks in our house and And I I learned a little bit about fish tank care, and if you've ever had a fish tank, you know that there are things called algae eaters, different types of fish that you can put in the tank, and their sole purpose is to eat algae. So you put them in the fish tank, and hopefully if they do their job, they're, they're keeping your tank clean, they're keeping the rocks and other little plants that you might have in your fish tank clean, and you don't have to tell them to do this. It's just It's just how God created them. It's their part of that ecosystem. And so you put these fish in, and they go to work. They're loving life because they get to eat all day long. Get to eat algae. I believe the gospel is the algae eater of sin and idols. It's not just that thing that exposes those idols to us when we first get saved, but it's that thing that reminds us to continue to inspect our hearts and to say, is there anything that's trying to creep up in there and compete with the Creator? See, the gospel reveals personal idols in our lives. The gospel says that there's one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ because of His death, burial, and resurrection. He is the way, He is the truth, He is the life. I know that there are times in my life where I would say amen to that. And yet, functionally in my heart, I had a plus one or a plus two. I wasn't living my life as if Jesus was enough. The gospel is going to reveal that to us it's going to reveal, is there anything inside of my life that I'm building my life upon besides Christ? The gospel is also going to expose the weaknesses of idols. The gospel promises us stuff that the, that, that the idols can't. And even if an idol does promise to give us lasting satisfaction, or give us happiness, or give us place, or purpose, or a position, it, it can't deliver on that. We see these in the Old Testament. There's passages like Psalm 135 that says, The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but don't speak, they have eyes, but don't see, they have ears but do not hear, nor is there any breath in their mouths. That is a God made by human hands. It might be something that we say, This is the most important thing, and it says, But it can't hear you, it can't talk to you, can't respond to you, can't meet your greatest needs. Habakkuk 2.18 says, What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. This is the word of the Lord saying, If you're going to create an idol, you are trusting in that thing to do something that only I can do for you. So the gospel is going to expose our personal idols. It's going to expose the weaknesses of those idols. But the gospel is not going to just kind of reprimand our heart, it's also going to show us that there's something better. Think of all the scripture in the New Testament that Paul has written a large part of that talks about how we were helpless. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. We were addicts under the weight and the burden of this thing. And at just the right moment, Christ rescued us in that same article i referenced earlier jd greer says idols are harsh taskmasters if you fail them they make you pay but in the gospel jesus says to us you did fail me but instead of destroying you i let myself be destroyed for you instead of demanding a sacrifice i will become a sacrifice for you In Jesus, unlike idols, we find the only God that when we obtain him will satisfy us and when we fail him will forgive us. This is an interesting text of scripture, but the main point that started to stir up Ephesus was the fact that the gospel tells us that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. And anytime time we begin to talk about idolatry, I think it's easy for us to get a little bit quiet, pull a little bit back, sit a little bit further in our seats, and go, this is getting a little too personal. I know that's how I felt this week. Beginning to examine my heart, God, what in my life is an idol? Something that I can make all the case in the world is a good thing, but yet I am making that an ultimate thing. I've been asking God, will you just tear those out? I want you. I don't want anything else. But I can't walk in victory on my own. I'm only a branch. And apart from the vine, I can do nothing. I think God had Luke record this text to show us what happens in a culture if we will be faithful to the gospel. It will begin to change things. I think Paul recorded this text to show us that, hey, and make sure that it doesn't creep into you. Because you know what's interesting? If you go back to the beginning of Acts, and you go to chapter 7, where they take Stephen and they, they martyr him. They, they stone him because he preaches the gospel. You know who did that? It wasn't the Ephesians. It wasn't the idol worshipers. It was the religious leaders of the day. They both got angry and enraged when the gospel started to touch on their idols. And I think what what Luke is doing under the guidance of the Holy Spirit is just reminding us that idolatry is something that all men are capable of and all men need to do business with it, but they can only do business when they yield to the Spirit of God. When they say, I have this potential and I need your help, will you get rid of these things in my life? We're all capable of having idols. We'll go to great lengths to protect them. It's really hard to get free from them, but the gospel will confront them. Will we let the gospel continue to do that work in our lives today? Would you pray with me? As we wrap up our time this morning, I don't know how this hits you. I know that uh, this week as I was preparing, I had a chance to kind of share some of my thoughts with our staff and we had some great conversations. But I think every time a message focuses on idolatry, it should cause us to check ourselves. And so this morning, I, I don't know how you've come in. I don't know if perhaps uh, you're walking in victory. And if that, is your, if that is your story, that, man, the Lord has freed me from some idols and I am focused on him, praise the Lord. But don't let your guard down, armor up every day because the spiritual battle isn't over and the enemy is still going to try to take you out. That would be my encouragement for you. But perhaps this morning, you've you've never actually looked to the Lord to help you with this. In fact, you haven't even recognized that these are idols in your life that you worship instead of the Creator God, and those idols continue to leave you feeling dissatisfied, helplessly lost. In your addiction or your struggle, discouragement, or fear. I want to tell you that that same gospel that stirred up Ephesus because it began to change lives and led people to totally walk away from what they thought was their purpose for living and to follow Christ, that same gospel truth that said, by faith, just believing and receiving this gift that Christ has made possible for us through his death, burial, and resurrection, you too could believe in that today and begin to have the Lord change you in ways that you could not change yourself, that you haven't been able to change yourself. And my, my inv- invitation this morning would be that you would hear a message called Gospel and Idols and go, I-, I want the Gospel more than I want the Idols. Lord, will you help me? If that's you this morning, I, I just want to encourage you right now, just cry out to the Lord. Lord, I, I need you. I, I, want, I want you And I believe that Jesus is the only way to overcome that in my life. Will you do that in me because I can't do it myself? But for what I believe is a great portion of us this morning, believers who are living the Christian life, my question for you this morning is this. Is there an idolatrous bent in you that God is convicting you right now to let go of? Has there been something in your life that keeps creeping up in there that's trying to distract you from what God wants to do? It's trying to take you down because sin is a liar. It does not love you. It doesn't care for you. It only wants to destroy you. If that is true, I, I pray that you would just say, Lord, inspect my heart, reveal these things, and help me lean into you so that you can continue to root that out of my heart. I guess what I'm trying to say is that none of us this morning should hear a message on idolatry and think this doesn't apply to me. There's something in it for all of us. Father God, thank you for freeing us from worthless idols. God, we confess that we have these bents in us. And if we take our eyes off of you for just a second, we can grab something that might even be a good gift from you and place it on the throne in our hearts and worship it more than worship you. That's sin. And so, Father God, I pray that we would be a people that would say, every day we are inspecting our hearts to any, looking for any signs of idolatry and saying, God, get that out of here. I only want you. God, I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit, you wouldn't let that conviction go, that you wouldn't stop pursuing us, you wouldn't stop convicting us, you wouldn't stop prompting us to say, enough, I I can't serve these worthless things anymore. God, thank you for the gospel, thank you for the solution to this problem. I pray that we would live today for you and nothing else. God, I love you, and I pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Hey, we we are so thankful that you're here this morning. We've got some questions up here on the screen. They're also on your notes. We've also got QR codes spread out around the room. You can just hang your phone over that and it'll pull up the notes for today where you can get those questions. I would really encourage you to, to talk with somebody about this message this week. Maybe share it with a friend and have a conversation and just do some work with this in the area of the gospel and idols man we're super thankful to have you guys here we hope you have a great week you are dismissed